Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Bunker USA with me, Chris Jones. Now, when you picture Washington, D.C., maybe you think of the White House or the Washington Monument, items of grandeur, but the district is way more than that. It has a much darker side, especially when it comes to the issue of homelessness. Thousands of people in D.C. are without homes. And there's a story I covered there as a journalist that has really stuck with me ever since I left. And that's the story of the clearing of McPherson Square. Now, that's a small park on the doorstep of the White House. And in February, the district's authorities came to evict the residents, many of whom had been there for months, maybe even years. There was one person there called Daniel who had been there for just about two years, and he was hauled uh, out of this park. And I watched as their possessions were dumped into the back of a truck and literally destroyed. Now, the authorities say homes were found for those people, but the people that I spoke to told me very differently. People like Daniel, for example. President Biden and the Democrats have plans to eradicate homelessness by 2025, not just in DC, but across the country as well. Are those plans realistic, though? What is being done? Or is this simply a plain case of out of sight, out of mind? Well, joining me now to help us understand all of this is Anne-Marie Staudenmeyer, Senior Counsel for the Washington Legal Clinic for the Homeless. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Anne-Marie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. Let's start by painting a bit of a broader picture of this. Could you give me an example just of how serious this situation is when it comes to uh, homelessness? What I can tell you is that in the last year, what we call unsheltered homelessness has gone up by 20%. So while the district government claims that, you know, overall homeless numbers have gone down and they attribute that to their amazing government policies. In fact, what we know is that in DC and in other cities, large cities across the country, particularly unsheltered homelessness, meaning people who are living literally on the streets has been going up every year for the last several years, around the time that the pandemic started. There's a lot of reasons for that that I can get into if you want, but the bottom line is that the numbers are going in the wrong direction. They're, you know, We're seeing an increase in homelessness when there's unprecedented money and attention being poured into it. You kind of touched on it a little bit there. How does the situation in D.C. really compare to other cities across America? Because this isn't just a D.C. issue. This is, you know, there's states of uh, emergency in, in places like Denver, isn't there? Yes. I mean, D.C.'s a pretty small city population wise when you look at the United States. The problem is much bigger in places like New York City and L.A., where they each have maybe 60,000 people who are experiencing homelessness. D.C.'s current number is close to 5,000. 
um, that's a very low number because it doesn't count people who are hidden away, who are staying in abandoned buildings or other people's apartments. But it is a problem across the country because of government policies that have led to people being evicted and not being able to afford to get back into housing in all of these major cities because they've become too expensive. Yeah, and I want to get back to housing a little bit later on, but let's come back to the stats a little bit, because from what I can tell, they're all a little bit all over the place, aren't they? You know, there you can find stats that says in DC, it's uh, homelessness is down by 30%. And then you could also find a stat that says it's 18% up. Who do we trust? Well, the problem with numbers and homelessness, and I, I've been doing this for so long, I, I've, I've sort of become jaded about it. But um, there is a single date every single year in every major city across the United States. It's in January. And they do what is called the point in time count. They pick one date, one point in time. They try to count everybody who's experiencing homelessness. But that entire process is flawed because one, it's impossible to count everyone on one night. And two, all of the people who have no home, they're unhoused, but they're not in a shelter or in a very obvious public space are not going to get counted. So our number from last year was 4,877 from 2023, January, 2023. That is a severe undercount. And the reason that the DC government says this very faulty statistic that homelessness has gone down 30% is because before the pandemic, that number was closer to like six, seven, eight thousand. So it has actually gone down. But the reason it went down is because in DC and in every city across the country, there was what was called an eviction moratorium. I don't know how they did it in the UK, but basically landlords could not evict people because of the pandemic. And that lasted for at least two years. So what's happening now is we're going to probably see those numbers go back up over the next couple of years because Landlords can now evict people. They're going to start evicting people again. You know, there's been sort of this cushion, but now when people start getting evicted again, we're going to see a lot more homeless families and a lot more homeless individuals who are going to get kicked out of their housing. And now, as you probably know, in places like D.C. and New York, rents have skyrocketed. So they were really low at the beginning of the pandemic, and now they're double what they were before the pandemic. I want to talk about eviction a bit more because, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, that um, McPherson Square clearing was something that both you and I were at. Um, I just wondered if you could give me your perspective of, of, of what you saw and what it was like building up to that event. So McPherson Square, which is right in the heart of D.C. and is a block or two from the White House, you know, was just a regular park. It became the biggest homeless encampment that D.C. has ever seen over the last year or so. And the reason for that is that the D.C. government had shut down a bunch of other large encampments in other parts of the city. And so, you know, when you shut down an encampment, when the city does an encampment sweep and they close it down and they say no one can come back here, that doesn't mean that people are housed and homelessness goes away. It means people have to find somewhere else to go. And so a few people like Daniel, who you mentioned, discovered that McPherson Square was a comfortable place to be. They felt safe there. And and it sort of built on itself so that at the height of it, there were probably 75 tents in the middle of D.C., two blocks from the White House. The reason that it got shut down in February, which is during what we call hypothermia season, meaning it had been below 
32 degree temperatures for the entire week before they shut that encampment down, meaning it's more dangerous for people to lose their tents, lose their blankets, you know, lose the things that keep them safe. And the D.C. government is the one who made the call to shut it down. And and my feeling is they did that because um, it was very visible and obvious and, and was a, you know, basically a black eye for our mayor who has pledged for the last eight years that she's going to end homelessness. And instead, we had this extremely visible um, centrally located emblem of homelessness, and it was embarrassing to her. So they, they, everybody there had been told they could stay till May. They decided to move it up by three months, and then they took all of their belongings and they threw them in dumpsters and they destroyed everything that those folks had. And I also remember very clearly I was there covering that and the amount of people that crowded around, not just camera crews, but people who were there just to have a look as well. That I found quite shocking. And as I, I've said to you before, the, the thing that I saw that got the most reaction was one of the rats that came out of the tents because there was a lot of vermin that came out during mm-hmm. this clearing. One of the rats was run over by a car on the road after and people literally screamed whilst this homeless encampment, people lives, their belongings literally being destroyed in front of them. Yeah, They were just as if it was normal. Did you get a sense of that as well? How did you feel when, when you were there? I mean, it was it was horrifying to be there. And I've been at a lot of encampment clearings, um, many, many, many over the years. This one just stood out in part because there were so many people there. And some of those people were spectators, you know, there to just for the theater of it, as macabre as that sounds. And then some of the people were advocates like myself who were trying to make sure that the government did what they were supposed to do. And what I remember so clearly is that I I knew who the officer in charge was. And we had sent him an email prior to this clearing saying, just so you know, under federal law, you have to store people's belongings. And they said, oh, yes, yes, we will. And then I saw him that day. I said, because they were about to start the clearing, the sweep. And I said, you, you know, agreed, you're going to store people's belongings. And he kind of blew me off. And he was like, yeah, 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 we're going to, we're going to do that. And then as you saw, people in hazmat suits with pitchforks literally went and just picked up tents, which contained people's entire lives. And they threw them in dumpsters. And that was it. Those folks will never get their belongings back. And they might be irreplaceable belongings. Yeah, you mentioned the guys in the the hazmat suits with the pitchforks. I remember one of them literally standing in front of me, unprompted, posing with two pitchforks, as if he was uh, really proud of of what he was doing there that day. Which you know was really quite shocking, as you've mentioned. Um, just moving back to the legality of this, because these types of clearings have happened all over America. This isn't just a DC uh, thing, um, but just focusing in on McPherson Square as an example still. Was everything that was carried out that day, but also in the build-up to it, what was that entirely legal? So my position is that it was not legal to destroy people's belongings because there's a federal law, and this was federal parkland, which is not what every not where every encampment is in DC, but this happened to be on federal parkland, meaning the US government, the US Park Police were the ones actually in charge of what was happening. They have a law that says any unattended property, meaning basically any property that you find on federal parkland, tents, sleeping bags, you know, a suitcase, whatever it is, has to be stored for 60 days, has to be retained and stored. You know, and the reason that law exists is because if someone's in a federal park and they forget something or they leave something behind, 
the government's not supposed to just take it and throw it away. We also have a constitution that says that the government can't seize your property and destroy it without some sort of process. And there was no process here. There was notice given to people, but when people didn't have anywhere else to go, they stayed there thinking, well, you know, I guess when they do the clearing, I'll have them store my belongings. And then the government comes in and and doesn't store anybody's belongings, doesn't even offer to store anybody's belongings. And so I believe that they violated the law that day. This is a massive issue right across America, but in D.C. especially, too. And what should have happened is something that you have focused on uh, a lot in your career. And I know it's something that you've been criticized for as well. For example, I saw The Federalist, which for people who um, are listening to this might not know is uh, a pretty far right wing publication. They launched a pretty bizarre attack on you in, in 2021. And the writer said that you wanted to keep people on the streets, basically, that if you read the article, it's basically a very twisted way of putting it. Um, what do you think should happen to people who, like the people who were in McPherson Square? So that myth or trope, whatever you want to call it, that the Federalist actually wrote about is something that the D.C. government peddles every day. They accuse advocates like myself of wanting to keep people on the streets. So when we push back on an encampment sweep and say it's not safe, people are going to lose their belongings and their lives, and you know they're not going to have anywhere else to go, the government response is, you just want them to stay on the streets. It keeps you in business, which is the most disturbing thing I've heard. But that is a myth that they use to explain to the general public, we're doing this to keep people safe. How could a country like the United States allow people in good conscience to sleep on the streets? My response to that is, if you want to keep people from sleeping on the streets, then get them the housing that they need, which our government has the money to do, but they don't prioritize it. And so my feeling about encampments like McPherson are, yes, I don't want to see people sleeping in a tent in the middle of D.C. That's not really safe or ideal for anyone. But when that is their only choice, don't make the situation worse by throwing everything they have away so that they have to start over in another public space because you still haven't found housing for them. Yeah, and the, the DC mayor, Muriel Bowser, as you said, wants to end homelessness. She said that over and over again. And uh, something that came from McPherson Square was the authorities were saying that these people were all going to be found homes. They were going to be uh, cleared and uh, taken to somewhere safe and given a place to stay. Um, that didn't happen, did it? No, that 100% didn't happen. I think the numbers, because I talked to a bunch of outreach people who are, you know, They're the ones who are supposed to be finding housing for everybody in those encampments. And what I learned was, I think, 12 out of the, say, 70 people that were camping there had been matched to housing. And matched to housing doesn't even mean you're in housing because you still have to go through the bureaucracy to get your own keys to your own home. But that was 12 out of 70. The rest of those folks, and I know I was just on a meeting yesterday with our interagency council on homelessness, and there were people on there who had been at McPherson and said, I still don't have anywhere to go. And that was months ago. I just went to a different public space that's probably even more dangerous than being at McPherson was. 
Let's broaden it out a little bit now. Let's take a look at what America as a whole, really, what Joe Biden, the Democrats are uh, really trying to do about this issue. Um, Biden said he wanted to end homelessness by 2025. That's something that uh, Maureen Bowser, the DC mayor, echoed as well, as I've mentioned. But it seems not to be working. That was announced in 2021. What's it like now? What What's going on now? Well, what is happening is, I would say since 2021, when that first big report was released by the Biden administration saying, we're going to end homelessness in four years. Everyone who works in this area knew that was unrealistic. What they just did in May of this year was they issued another big proclamation that was entitled All Inside, which I think was their clever way of saying, we're going to take six cities, including like LA and Dallas and a couple other large cities that have big homeless issues. And we're going to focus on getting people who are unsheltered, the ones who live on the streets, into housing. That's great. They've, they've put money into it. They're, they're sending government experts to all of those cities to make that happen. But that's only six cities. D.C. is not even included in that. And I guess my feeling about it, and, and I'm jaded because I've been doing this for almost 30 years, is I've seen so many government proclamations over the years saying we've got to end homelessness, we're going to end homelessness. And the only way to actually end homelessness is to put your money where your mouth is and put millions, honestly, billions of dollars, if you're trying to end homelessness across the country, into affordable housing for the people who need it the most. And by affordable, I mean for like people who are in deep, deep poverty, who either have no income or who have very, very little income. That's the only way we're going to end homelessness. And I don't believe that either of those Biden reports has the money attached to it to actually make it happen. You mentioned affordable housing there, and I said I wanted to mention um, housing itself, because something I saw uh, on the Washington Homelessness Legal Clinic's website was that uh, there were 40,000 people on the DC Housing Authority's waiting list, but that's been closed since 2013. So how deep does this issue really run? It's massive, surely. Yes. So that's a perfect illustration. When that waiting was closed in 2013, we pushed back very hard to say, why would you close this down? But the Housing Authority, which is the main provider of affordable housing in the Washington, D.C. area, said, well, we're giving people false hope. At the point that they shut it down in 2013, there were actually 70,000 households on that waiting list. The reason that it dropped by 30,000 is because they went through the list and they basically just threw a bunch of people off who weren't responding to their mailings. But there are still 40,000 households on that waiting list. And the people I know, the clients I work with, have been waiting 20 years on the waiting list, have done everything they've been asked to do, have kept up their applications, and they're not close to getting a housing subsidy um, or getting into public housing, which is the other thing the Housing Authority offers. But you know they have 8,000 units of public housing total, and those don't turn over because they're permanent. So that just gives you sort of a snapshot of how many people in D.C. are waiting to get into affordable housing. And that list is 10 years old. I think you kind of spoke about it and you, you mentioned it earlier on by um, uh, suggesting that these authorities go out and they try and count the amount of homeless in, in one night, which is clearly unrealistic and never going to happen. Um, right. Do you think that there is a lack of focus from not just 
the Democrats, but the Republican Party as well. But, you know, local authorities as well. Do you think there's a lack of focus on this issue because perhaps it's not directly at the forefront of, of people's minds when it comes to voting? It's not something that people necessarily think about. And I was, I was doing some research on this and I was looking at a YouGov poll that said that both parties are essentially more likely to blame each other than actually look at the real deep issues of homelessness. So does it sadden you that this has become more of a politicized issue rather than actually going in to tackle the root causes of this issue? Yes, it's profoundly sad because, you know, we've been hearing the same things from government officials and elected officials for 50 years, honestly. I mean, the homelessness crisis in the U.S. started in the late 70s. And yeah, there's a lot of finger pointing. And yet, even the most progressive Democrats, in part because of how dysfunctional our Congress is right now, can't get anything done. It just won't happen. I mean, you need the political will and you need the budget. You need the money to be put in. But then you also need to honestly get rid of the bureaucracy, because even if cities got if if every big city in the United States got a billion dollars to end homelessness, I would be surprised if it actually worked because the bureaucracy that's in place keeps people from getting that housing money. For instance, in D.C., our city council funded an unprecedented number of housing subsidies in 2021. It was kind of the heels of the pandemic. You know, people were, we really need to to tackle this problem now. The eviction moratorium was still in place. And that money would have housed 2,200 to 2,500 people. That would have made a massive dent. It would have housed everybody who's on the street right now because the current count of people on the street is 825. But that money still, a lot of it hasn't gotten out the door because there's all these hoops that people have to jump through. They have to have the right ID. They have to get the right paperwork filled out. You have to be able to find them. When they shut down places like McPherson Square, it means that if someone was in the process of getting housing, their caseworker now isn't going to be able to find them because they're hidden away somewhere else. And that means that the the entire process of getting them housed is going to slow down, if not completely come to a halt. So it's a very discouraging situation. But I think if they could cut through the bureaucracy and just say, okay, everyone at this encampment, we're going to house them and we're going to house them this week. And then we'll do the paperwork once they're in the housing. That would go a huge way towards actually getting more people housed. And Marie, I only have one more question for you, and it's a pretty big one. Um, (laughs) Basically, apart from banging your head against a brick wall, if you could do anything to help solve this issue tomorrow, you you could change one policy, you could introduce one policy, put some funding somewhere else. What would you do? What would you do to help the homelessness crisis in America? The one thing I do is put your money where your mouth is. Put the money that is needed to house people into your budgets. Um, Because what I've seen the DC council and the mayor do for years is put the wants of housed people, you know, dog parks, stadiums, bike trails, et cetera, over the needs of our most impoverished neighbors, our most vulnerable neighbors who are living on the streets and cannot get into housing. If you put a lot of that money just into housing and then cut the bureaucracy so that you're actually like getting people housed quickly, 
that is the one thing I would do. And that would go a long way towards solving homelessness. In the meantime, don't do homeless sweeps when you don't have anywhere for people to go because it's only making the situation worse. Well, let's hope the authorities are listening and take your advice. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This was uh, this was great. And I appreciate you putting time into this uh, really important topic. Uh, listeners, I turn to you now. We're always keen to know exactly what you think. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode, feel free to get in touch. And if you enjoyed listening to this one, why not back us on Patreon, where you can chuck us a couple of quid a month to help keep the conversation going. I'm Chris Jones, reporting from The Bunker. The Bunker USA was written, presented, and produced by Chris Jones. Audio production was by me, Simon Williams. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. The group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker USA is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.